stories brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. My name is Sean, and I'm your guest host here today. And I am honored to bring another great guest to the program. Her name is Lynn Baber. She is an author, a serial entrepreneur. This is from her website, folks. And as well, she trained stallions for many years. And we're probably going to talk about that as well. And I love what she has on her website. Uh, So many great things. But I love this line, reviving the world one step at a time. And as a recovery guy myself, I believe everything's one step at a time. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for the invitation. I know when you received the invitation from Johnny to join us, you sent us a great message back. You encouraged us so much with that message saying, this seems like a God-ordained moment. Can you you speak a little bit about that? I would love to. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in God. He wastes nothing. He has a plan for everyone. So for anyone who is listening to this, you're not an exception. There is a vision and plan that God has for you that is different from everyone else. He didn't make two of anyone. He's never repeated anyone. So you have purpose. And what I've learned over the years is that everything is connected to everything else. And somewhere along the line, God gives us understanding about that stuff in the past and how that connects to the stuff today and how that might give us a hint of where he's taking us in the future. So when this came up and I did my research, like, okay, who are y'all? And let's find out. I saw your ministry, especially for kids and for folks who are perhaps looking at the criminal justice system or who have serious life issues. Mm. And my life, for especially for the first 30 years, was as the poster child for there, but for the grace of God, go I. And when this came up, it was just like timed perfectly. And I just looked up and said, okay, I got it. I'm responding here. Isn't it great how he does that? We are going to get into a little bit about that story, Lynn. But first, you talked about a relationship with God, which you enjoy. I enjoy my relationship with God. Some people believe the things they have done disqualifies them from a relationship with God. Let's talk a little bit about your journey to faith and this relationship that you enjoy with your personal Savior, Jesus Christ, and God. As I'm sure a lot of your guests who've lived many decades will tell you, uh, the stories simply add up. Everybody who's listening has a story. And I will just say, from the beginning, I do not have any memory of not knowing God was there. I knew he was there. That didn't mean that I was walking with him and I was obedient, but I knew he was there. I came from a background that I guess today the best word is dysfunctional. And I made choices along the line that took me down the hard ways and the dark alleys. And that's why I say I should have been a statistic so many times. But God always brought me through. And I will tell you at this point, and I've known this for years now, he brought me through because he has a vision and purpose and he wastes nothing. So nothing about my upbringing, nothing about my young adulthood, nothing about some of the places I've been and the people that I've been with, that led me to marry the wrong person. But it, you know, looking back, it wasn't a mistake. My first husband is a violent alcoholic. And so I know what it's like to be in that situation. I, I know what it's like to wrestle with a loaded weapon with someone who 
just assume he'll use nothing else. But I also know that God uses every single one of those for his purpose. So as life went on, I did very well in school. I did very well in business. And I have a fabulous resume. And the reason for that is because God wanted to use it. It's not that I'm so special. I'm really not. But what's a resume for? People can look at something on my resume and whether it's in the horse industry or as a best-selling author or whatever it happens to be, if they're interested in that or intrigued by that, that may encourage them to contact me and ask a question. And that only gets it for the first time. It's how that relationship or what I say, who I am, what message I bring, that means there's going to be a second connection. So it's only good just to get things off the ground. So everything went along just fine. I was able to uh, indulge in my horse thing and was very successful in that as well as other businesses. And then the day came where this person who was so capable, who has always been able to say, give me the goal and I will accomplish it. I ran into such problems with my horses reading. And we had world national champions, but it got to where I was losing foals, baby horses. And people were saying to me, you know what, you're doing everything right. If you have any luck at all, it's bad luck. So I was spending tons of money and I lost three amazing babies within the course of a month. And each one not only was heartrending, it was financial, but you spend two years just planning for each one. And I had tried everything over months and different things. And finally, the day we lost that third one and the circumstances were always very different and stories in and of themselves. But I went, my husband had had it. He couldn't deal with it anymore. And I went in and I remember getting on my knees and I said, you know what? I'm done. I got nothing left. I know this much. I know I'm an expert. I know this things, but it's not enough. I have nothing I can bring to this equation anymore. So this is your deal. You know what happened. I know. Isn't it beautiful when we finally get to that moment of surrender and realize he may have a better plan? He has a better plan, but he also needs us to be obedient, obedient. and to look to him first and not our own capability. That's right. I'm going to go back to something you talked about because as you know, with who we work with, we work with people who have been incarcerated or are looking at potential time behind bars. A lot of them have grown up in what is now known, as you said, a dysfunctional family. How were you able to take what you had to go through as a younger person and then be able to trust somebody? Because most of us have a hard time trusting once we've grown up in an environment such as that and trusting God would lead you to a better path. Let's, let's unpack that a little. You know, I love that because I've never thought about that question before. Well, okay, I'm going to go this way. When I was a kid, I did have some very wonderful relationships with animals, not with people. I didn't like people. I didn't trust people because they didn't seem to like me. Maybe somebody out there is going, yep, I understand what that's like. So I always thought of, you know, the future as being a hermit, living on the side of a mountain with, you know, Disneyland of animals around me, but no people. Uh, they were not, I didn't like. So I already knew that I could establish relationship with an animal and that they're honest. And I guess this is part of it, Sean, that God brings each of us through those ways that are meaningful to us. For some, it might be music. For some, it might be sport. We all have something that connects to our spirit that we just know we're at home with. And it is by trusting in that. And as the years went by, I learned how to be in right relationship with animals first. And then to take that, and as I learned to work with people when I was in corporate America, 
because as you know, the relationships determine success. Without them, mm-hmm. we can't do things because we work together. And it's just over time, God is always faithful. He is so good. I, I, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, but the one step, being a 12-stepper myself and somebody who's ran Celebrate Recovery, been a, a ministry rep, one step at a time. Sometimes that hardest thing is taking that first step. So going back to when you went to your knees, that was that first step that first step of surrender. But there was a lot more steps that had to be taken after that. But that first one is so big. It is. But you know what, John, you're absolutely right, though. I don't care where you are in life. Success is nothing more than a habit and history of success. So whether it's training horses, working with kids, working with another pastor, working with anyone. When I'm working with someone, what I want to do, what the Lord wants to do with us is just say, what's the next very small thing? Because how does trust begin? Not only in other people, but more importantly, can we trust ourselves? I always try to make it so small and so easy that there's no way that someone can't be successful with it. And then they get the first one down. And whether you're setting up your own steps or working with someone else, as soon as they take the first tiny step and they're still pointed forward and the first tiny step after that and the next one, by the time you have 10 or 12 of those steps, you're starting to believe that the next one you take will also be successful. Yes. And for those who are listening and saying, yeah, but you don't know my story. That's the beautiful thing. Our stories are all different. But by taking those steps, you have seen yourself be able to, you know, move on beyond the defeats of life and see the success. But it's only because there's this dirty four letter word. Sometimes we have to put some work in to see change come. Well, there are, we always have to do the work because here's the worst truth about change is nothing changes until we do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's so hard for people to grasp, but I try to encourage my sponsees and and people I talk to. It's so worth it because our God didn't make junk. We're not junk. People may have put us down, may maybe have put us in their own box, but God doesn't put us in this box. I'm a pretty out of the box person. And and I kind of get that from you as well. We're just reading some of your stuff on your website. We serve a God who's bigger than we can even imagine. And it helps us propel forward. And and I want to touch on two things. First, I want to touch on the serial entrepreneur in you, because it sounds like you've had a very fascinating, a very interesting career. Let's go there for a little while. Oh, goodness. Well, my last W-2 position, which means I actually worked for someone else, was in the early 1980s when I was marketing manager for Omaha Steaks International. It was a great job. I had a business degree, which surprisingly enough, I did not do the traditional way. I have never done anything the traditional way. So people, if if you miss the boat somewhere along the line, that's okay. It wasn't your boat. So I had the opportunity to go into business for myself as a consultant. I'd actually planned that. And then I became a motivational speaker. And one of the interesting things is that God always brings us back full circle. He gives us a vision and Mm -hmm. then we don't quite see. So if If God has given you a vision for those who are listening, but you haven't seen it come closer, sometimes there's a lot of road between seeing the vision and getting there. And I can tell you that's happened to me more times. And I just keep going, oh, here we are again. This this is what he showed me years ago. And I kind of went, well, what happened to that? And then he brings it back. So when I was a professional motivational speaker back then, you know, my happy place was a microphone, a thousand people and a big paycheck. There you go. Now, as a motivational speaker, there's two different kinds. And I think this is important. My booking agent would say, here, call her and she's going to tell you why she's different. Okay. 
two kinds. One, they're entertainers. Oh man, these are the people, you know, sometimes other people fall into this category. You love listening to them. You get on your feet, you stomp. You're just, man, your adrenaline's going, your emotions are pumping. You're like, that was so cool. Okay, and then I'd say, that's not me. If I did my job well, somebody would get up the next day and live a different life. Now, full circle, I kind of do the same thing now, only I don't get the thousand people on the stage, which is fine. I'm not after that anymore. Yeah. But now I know where every single one of those truths are in the Bible. The beautiful thing is not only do you have the, the, the sense of a timing to move, you are doing something incredible, not just with the coaching world, but with pastors. I love the fact that you're talking about revival. I've always thought revival starts with us one person at a time. And if we can uh, motivate somebody, we have to be able to motivate ourselves first. So let's talk a little bit about the training that you do and how you're equipping other leaders moving forward. Not just yourself. You're not, as you said, you're not looking for that big paycheck now. You're realizing there's a little bit more to this life. And that is, I call it discipleship because we, we need to train others up in the way to go. Discipleship is key. If you look on my social media platforms or anything, you're going to see underneath my name, three words, leadership, discipleship, and then, okay, this is the word, kingdom revival. And they all go together. I have been a leadership and relationship expert for 35 years. I mean, this is what gets my blood just kind of like, man, I am into this. I can get so pumped about this. But discipleship is nothing but leadership. I'll tell you, horse training is nothing but leadership. I mean, it's not from a university, but my PhD in leadership was working with stallions by earning their respect. And what is discipleship? It is learning from someone, it is teaching from someone, and it's having that relationship with your peer community. And the only way as a leader that you can move forward is to earn people's attention and obedience. This is huge. Whether we're talking the Lord, a horse trainer, parents, anyone, obedience always has to be optional. There must be the option to disobey. Otherwise, it's coercion. It's taking that two by four and you're threatening someone. So true leadership and discipleship. The Lord Jesus Christ, what does he say? He doesn't say, I'm going to make you do this. He says, no, if you love me, you will obey my commands just because it was me that asked. Amen. Amen. Uh, the last couple of years have been very difficult on, on, on church leaders, on lay leaders, church leaders. COVID has, has made us have to pivot and shift and we're tired of those words. But what have you learned in raising up leaders, the training in the last couple of years that you have found has changed the way you do things or the way you, you see we need to make this change because this will move us in a better direction? Number one thing is simplicity, clarity. This is a hard thing for people to come up with. And I'm just, it, it's kind of surprising how many people don't get there. And that's like, what's your number one priority personally and as an organization? What is your number one priority? And most people can't tell you that because that priority has to have behind it an action component. It has to be biblical. But usually those are, they're unclear. They're nebulous. We want to make more disciples. It's like, hey, but what's your priority? It is actually speaking an actionable goal. And then once you get to that point, I mean, the clarity there just kind of goes, oh, wow. Now I have an idea of not only where I need to go, but I have an idea of where I don't need to go. And as we talked about earlier, Sean, now, and this is one of the huge components, what's your next best step? We're trained by the world not to think that simply. We're trained by human nature. 
not to think that simply. The older we get, the more layers of complexity and rationalization we put on. It's like, no, we've got to go back to being that kid training that horse. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's so great to think of, oh, wasn't it a simpler time when we were kids? But sometimes I found in the last couple of years, we have become more isolated. We're forgetting one of the key components of a relationship with God is God is, and I like it on your website, you say everything is personal because God is personal. Let's unpack that part. As I said earlier, relationship determines success. Mm -hmm. Beginning with the personal and intimate relationship each one of us has or has the potential to enjoy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something that, and I know, Sean, you'll understand this. I hope a lot of people listen well. When you find that, it becomes your most precious possession that you will give up anything else to maintain. God is personal. He handles each one of us individually. And this is one of the problems that we see in some of the organized religious environment. And that is this insistence. Many times it's unaware to put a middleman between an individual and God. Well, there is a middleman. It's the Holy Spirit. We can read in God's word. People don't know who God is. They don't know his character. If you think about someone you know really, really well, Sean, so, so maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's one of the kids or your best friend, and you know them so well, but if someone came to you and say, hey, I just saw this person and here's what they said, or here's what they did, you're going to look at them and say, no, didn't. I know them. And you know, you can tell me all day long that they didn't do that. We don't know that about God. Someone says, God said, and we just kind of go, okay. We have to know him as well as we know another person to have that absolute confidence and strength and power that is ours for the asking. You and I, before we started the interview, we were talking about a, I was sharing a little moment about a, a client I'm working with and how the Holy Spirit was moving me to help this individual bring the truth out about a situation in his past. Isn't it great that we can have a relationship like that, that, you know what, our past doesn't have to define our present nor our future, as long as we're willing to be obedient to what the Spirit is drawing out of us. The past, it makes our present richer. As I said earlier, God wastes nothing. He wastes nothing. I can look back at so many horrible things that I lived through, and, and I will be perfectly honest. I don't want to relive any. I don't. But I do not regret any of them. Here, here's, here's one thing I'll share with, with your listeners. My dad was always an issue. He was an issue. He basically, yeah, we won't go into that. My dad was an issue. I'll tell you, God redeemed that. I was shocked. A few years before he passed away, I would have said we were good friends and we had gotten to a place where we regarded one another. But when he passed away, I loved the man. And for the first time, I could say I had a father. My mother died many years ago. And I always thought she was just pretty much perfect. My husband pointed out to me that she wasn't because she would never defend me against a full grown man ever. And, but, and so she passed away a long time ago. Well, you know, as happens, things get passed down in family. So you came a point where I'm already in ministry by this time. I think God has to get you to the right place before he can lay the next thing on you. Yes. So I'm just going to tell you, doesn't matter how far you go, there's going to be another thing that's going to get laid on you because God does put us through a refining fire and he makes us instruments. And the more he refines us and the more he puts us through that sharpening process, the more valuable we become to him. 
So one day my, my dad and, and my stepmother drop off a box of my mother's things. Wow. What was in there? Her journal that she had typed when I was about 14 years old. I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. My mom. Yeah, my mom. And then I found her writing about me. And she basically wrote about me dispassionately, kind of like a specimen, a bug, wondering, you know, she seemed so bright, but she was wondering if maybe I was mentally ill because I was different from them. I thought, oh my, what am I supposed to do with this now? She's been dead for 15 years. All of a sudden it's like, well, I didn't have a dad. Now I didn't have a mother either. So I will tell you what I did. I went out into the backyard and I looked up and I said, what, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Well, of course he was good enough to answer. And he said, I never intended for you to have first return. I never intended for you to have an earthly father. When have I not been there? Amen. Mm. And so he just basically wrapped up so much of my history and explained it because it was his purpose. He had always been there. He was there that day. He was gracious to answer my question. So whatever it is you've gone through, it is not just a past obstacle. It is a potential present strength. And God will take us through each and every one of them. Lynn, our time has come to a close. I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I just praying that someone out there who's listening to us either on the radio show or on the podcast right now, realize God loves them and he has a purpose for them. And I pray that they'll see it. Lynn, thank you for joining us on Refuge Freedom Stories. Thank you, Sean. It's been a pleasure.